So hello, everyone, and welcome to the Flourishing 40s podcast again, where we curate lots of interviews with professionals, thought leaders, people who are changing the world so that you can improve in your purpose, your productivity, and your profits. Today, I've got with me Karen Hart, who is the CEO. It's really great to see you. I'm, I'm already, I'm already starstruck, <laughs> but she's the CEO of Let's Grow Leaders. And Karen Hutt helps human-centered leaders find clarity in uncertainty, drive innovation, and achieve breakthrough results. And this they do through that outfit. She's also a 100 leadership speaker, a woman to watch for in innovation, and an amazing author and researcher. You're welcome to the show, Karen. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. All right, so we're going to get started. We want you to tell our viewers a bit about yourself, your journey, and how you transitioned into entrepreneurship. Okay, all right. Well, as, as you said, that I run a company with my husband uh, called Let's Grow Leaders, and we've been doing that, uh, I can't believe it, but about 10 years already. And now this is going to make me sound very old because before that, I had two decades of uh, experience working at Verizon, and that wasn't my first job out of school. So just uh, <laughs> when you talk about tr transitions in midlife, you know, I, I've definitely done that. So uh, prior to founding Let's Grow Leaders, I was uh, at Verizon for 20 years. I did uh, everything. I did human resources, leadership development, organizational development for the first 10 years. And then I transitioned to a variety of field assignments. So I had a 2200 person sales team, a 10,000 person customer service organization. And the reason I start there is because everything we do is really practical. And it's because I have been there and I know what kind of tools and techniques you need and that work. And uh, so that's, that's just a little bit of the, my background. All right. So tell us a bit, how did you transition from that corporate kind of environment field work into full entrepreneurship? Because I know many of our viewers are in that stage of life where they've probably had 10 to 20 years experience working in corporate and they're wondering, should I make the leap? Should I jump? What happens on the other side? So how yeah. was that transition for you and how has it been so far? You know, it was really interesting. Well, first of all, I haven't looked back. I love it. I love it. It's not easy at all, <laughs> but I don't, I do not regret it. Um, so the funny thing is my last role in Verizon, I was asked to build uh, what we call our strategic partnership channel. So it was all of the outsourced call centers that took Verizon's calls. And what had happened was that once upon a time, Verizon was not allowed to sell the iPhone. And you know, some of your listeners may remember a time like that. Well, um, then all of a sudden they were, they had rights. Well, you can imagine what happened to the, our call volume during that time, right? So all of a sudden there's just this influx of calls. So what, what the company had done was ramped up all these outsourced relationships really, really fast. And uh, you don't need to be in the call center space to know that you can't put up a 500 or a thousand person call center in 60 days and have, have a quality experience, right? So what they asked me to do, because I have had a reputation of building cultures, uh, and strong teams, they said, go in, work with these companies, figure out which which of these call centers we have to close, get rid of. And I thought, oh my gosh, that sounds like a terrible job. Who wants to do that? So, but instead I said, I'll take the job because I, I was really happy in the role that I was in. I, I was under no obligation to do this. I said, but I'll take this job under two conditions. One 
is the mission isn't to figure out which centers to close. The mission is to get these centers to parity in quality of service with the internal centers. Wow. And the mission, and I get to choose my team, my direct report team, because I knew you needed a certain kind of human centered leader to do this, to be building these partnerships with other companies. Well, long story short on that end, we get most of these centers to parity with internal centers through culture, training, right? All human centered things. And as I, as the story is unfolding, um, I have, there is one moment where I call it in our new book that uh, TCCI, the toxic courage crushing incident. One of the executives I was working with um, exhibited not, it was, it was an internal executive, exhibited some really atrocious behavior to one of these other companies we were working with. And I about lost it. And my boss said, Karen, if you say something right now, you are, your career will be in jeopardy. So I, I get to this point that I'm like, all right, what do I say? I, what am I going to do? Because I, I can't shut up because it's against my integrity. Um, but I, if I speak up, I'm probably going to do some real damage to my career. So I started my blog that Sunday and I just started writing. I, I went to the back of the corporate jet that day that this thing happened. And I wrote down all the things I believed about leadership. And then I, that Sunday, I literally, I hadn't, blogs were not that big that, back then, right? So I'm like, how, I type in, how to start a blog, right? Uh, find a name. Oh, let's grow leaders. I, I mean, I just did this thing out of like anger. And, but I was not, I wasn't dissing anything internally. It was only talking about the positive ways of what is possible and what, how, how things should be. Well, people started calling me, reading the blog, blog gets an international following. People start calling and say, can you be our keynote speaker? Can you tell us how you turned around that customer experience? And I'm like, wait a minute, no, uh, I do this like that at night. That was I have this day job. And then one of the outsourcers uh, was on the board of the International Customer Service Association. And he's like, Karen, just come do one keynote speech. And I thought, why not give one keynote speech? So I took the day off. I was not allowed to take any compensation for it, which made the association very happy. And I, I gave this keynote and I, you know, looking back on it, it was probably not that great, right? I didn't know how to give a keynote speech at that point, but I just got up and I spoke from my heart about leadership and human centered leadership. And it doesn't have to be results or relationships that can be both and fear and intimidation don't work. And I just like said all the things. Well, I get off the stage and the guy who's going to speak next next says, when are you leaving Verizon? And I said, did I say that from the stage? And he <laughs> says, no, but clearly you are meant to say, do this. And he goes, I am the president of the National Speakers Association. Here's my card. If you want to do this for a living, call me. I will help you. So now I'm like, all right, the universe is telling me I'm supposed to do this thing. So I gave Verizon four months notice because I didn't want everything I built to, you know, we had built together like to fall apart. I cared about my direct report team that I had handpicked, right? And so I was very deliberate and I uh, smooth transition out and I started Let's Grow Leaders. I already had the blog, I just turned it into a company. So um, that's, that's um, a bit of that story. <laughs> <laughs> Who would have thought? And who would have thought, even as you're telling the story, I'm just looking at the trends. And, and I think that's one of the challenges when I look at 
doing something afraid or just leaning forward without having calculated what the step five or the step 10 is. And it started from some thoughts you had, a passion you had, you know, frustration about something and plugging that into, into something. And before you knew it, it just created the trend of where you're at. That's that's really fascinating. And for our li listeners, you know, something I want to ask, because many of them are also leaders in their own rights, whether in the corporate environment or in entrepreneurship. So what are one, two, three characteristics or virtues of human-centered leaders that you feel our listeners should focus on? If there is one, two, three, what would they be? So we, we talk about landing in the end, uh, landing in the end of confidence and humility, results and relationships. And, you know, we can't possibly give you a tool or technique for every single scenario you're going to handle. But if you show up to our difficult conflict and you say, how do I address this conflict with confidence that I can speak the truth, the confidence that my opinion matters, the confidence that my voice is important and the humility to know I don't necessarily have the whole story here. I've got to be curious. I've got to really understand what else is going on. And then how I'm going to do this conversation in a way that gets the results that we need for our mission and leaves the relationship better than we found it, right? So that's the, you know, when you talk about human-centered leadership, if you, and if any of those things get out of balance, that's when things get wonky. If you're overly confident and overly focused on results, We've got somebody who's like a user, right? They're just, you know, they may get results done for a minute, but they are leaving a trail of uh, destruction along the way. And people, they might, it might work for a little bit, but most people are leaving. They're looking around for another quiet quitting or they're quitting quitting. But then if you've got um, somebody, the other side, which honestly, what we find in our programs, there's more people who fall into this category, overly humble and overly focused on relationships. They're all folk, they're they're afraid to have accountability conversations. They're you know afraid to step too far to think too big. They're what we call pleaser manager, and they're like, I'm just gonna keep my I'm just gonna keep everybody happy. So they're trying to please their boss, they're trying to please their peers, they're trying to please their direct reports, and nobody's happy, right? And um, because the real A players want their manager holding other people accountable. And so they want to work on a winning team. So it's it's that landing in the end that really gets to the the heart of human-centered leadership. I like that. I like the landing in the end because at the end of the day, when you think about it, you're right. There are those who are at the extreme of, of the equation in both cases. But if we think about the leaders that we loved the most, who made us grow the most, and who we remember in our careers, they're the ones who found that healthy balance in those results and relationships and helping things things grow. So thank you so much for sharing that. Um, now, in your journey with Let's Grow Leaders, it's an incredible journey you've had. <laughs> you know, I looked at your website it's been, since 2013. You've been helping uh, leaders grow and you've been doing that in different categories and the programs that you run. So let's talk about running this with your business partner, uh, who happens to be your husband as well. Amazing. How do you manage that relationship, you know, as a couple and as business partners and as CEO, do you ever find yourself caught up in that? Oh, now I'm in CEO mode or now I'm in a couple's mode. How has that worked? It, it It's, you know, we're getting better at it, it but it, it was, it's was difficult at the beginning and it still, of course, is rocky from time to time. I would say the hardest part is turning it off, right? So, you know, we're both really passionate about the work that we do. 
And, you know, but we get excited, we get excited about things, but it is easy to want to talk about things all the time, right? And, you know, David will be like, can we not talk about this in the bedroom, right? Like, this is not, you know, and so I think that's one, one piece of it. But the other thing that if, if somebody is thinking about building a business with someone they love, um, whether it's your, your spouse, your partner, your kid, uh, my cousins are my, 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 I have two yeah, cousins that are brother and sister. They, they run a business together. And I think it really comes down to role clarity and knowing who owns what decision. So when we, when Dave and I first merged our businesses together, we had both been running our own companies. So we were both used to making all the decisions about all the things. And we come across things very differently and it was creating a lot of conflict. Then we, so we took a step back and said, all right, what are you really good at? What am I really good at? And thank goodness they're different. <laughs> so, you know, I am, I'm very visionary, um, very big picture, very external facing. I love marketing. And I don't, I don't mean like, I don't love doing marketing copy, but I love like, oh, let's do some crazy things like make courage lions and take them to ATD conference and walk around and take pictures with them and get, you know, like that kind of stuff. And David is, I mean, he is very organized and he's uh, the, the perfect, I mean, he's the president, but he also does COO, right? Everything operations and things I would not even think of. He is incredible, but incredibly buttoned up. Well, that's great, but there's also tension because, okay, well, I think we should like, oh my gosh, I see a strategic opportunity. We should pivot over here and do this real fast. And he's like, are you kidding me? We're executing on this, right? I know, but if we don't, all right, now you better make a choice because we don't have resources to do both of these things at the same time. So I wanna move fast, he'll pull it back. And that balance is really, really healthy and we have had to learn that that is who we are. That's our professional roles, but that we are also really supportive of one another. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. So tell us a bit, because I'm going to double click on that, because I'm sure there are people who are listening who may be thinking about that or are already in those kind of relationships. What will be one or two practical things that you do when you catch yourself either going overboard or you feel, oh, we're losing our boundaries here? What will those tips be? Well, I think the first one is um, who owns this decision? So it, we have made a decision that if it is if it is in my CEO role, I we, we will debate it. But then if we can't re resolve it, I make the call and he doesn't get mad because it's like that's how we said it. If it's in his, you know, uh, he really wanted to implement base camp and I uh, it's overstructured for me. But he's like, Karen, the rest of the team wants to do base camp. We're going to do base camp. And I'm like, okay, so I have stopped arguing about it. We're going to do this, right? And so we, so you can let it go because you've already pre-agreed that if it's that kind of decision, you get to weigh in, but you don't, I think that has kept us the most sane of anything. And then I think the other is to, when it gets tensions are tight, to realize that it's not about your personal relationship. You know, like we we're I mean, we're right now we're two days away from our book manuscript being due, you know, we're it's we're exhausted. And, um, you know, sometimes we don't say things you know, writing a book on conflict. Right. But sometimes we'll say things like well, that was a stupid thing you put in there. Right. Right. Something we would never tell people to do. But because we're tired and because we have so much familiarity, we might not do that. 
And instead, you know, I think years ago we would have been like, oh, how could you be, don't you love me? Why are you now we're like, all right, come on, get over it. You're not being nice. You know, you must be tired. And we give each other the benefit of the doubt of that. So that's fun. <laughs> well, that leads me into, because I know you're, you've written several leadership books and I know you're working on another one at the moment. And, you know, I'd like you to tell our viewers or listeners a bit about it. But first, there's a book, you know, The Courageous Cultures. You've talked about it. I see The Courage Lions and stuff. Tell us a bit, what, what is Courageous Cultures? What is that about and why is it needed much more today? Yeah, so our favorite definition of culture comes from the marketing guru, Seth Godin, who says, culture is people like us do things like this. So in a courageous culture, people like us speak up, we share ideas, uh, that, that silence isn't safe, it is expected that you are going to say what's on your mind, you're going to challenge the status quo, and leaders are asking, and they have the confidence to build a culture where people they proactively ask, and employees know how, have the confidence and competence to speak up. And you know, we got really curious about this concept of courageous cultures because we noticed a pattern with our clients. We would go in to do work uh, with the C-levels or very senior teams of organizations and we would hear things like, oh, why do more employees speak up? What is wrong? Why am I the person who has to go discover these best practices? These people are sitting right next to each other and they're not sharing their ideas. What is wrong? And then we would go in to do training at the front line of the very same organizations and we would hear things like nobody wants my ideas last time i spoke up i got in trouble nothing ever happens anyway so why bother so we partnered with the university of north colorado in an extensive research study to ask a couple of questions when people were holding back ideas what kinds of ideas were they holding back and they weren't trivial it wasn't like oh we wish i had kombucha in the break room or virtual taco tuesdays they said they were holding back ideas to that would improve the customer experience, the employee experience, or productivity and process. And then we said, well, why are you holding back these ideas? And they told us, you know, big one was fear. 40% said they lacked the confidence to share their ideas. 67% said the manager's not gonna, uh, doesn't, doesn't ask, right? It's 49%, it just big numbers of people not doing the right things. So we, that is what courageous, the courageous cultures answers how to fix that. How do you create an environment with very practical tools that managers go out and not just make it clear they want ideas, but they ask in a way that they're going to get them. And then how do you speak up and share your idea in a way that it's more likely to be heard. And uh, we have been using those tools and techniques all over the world. Uh, uh, we have uh, just got back from Switzerland where we're doing work with Nestle, a big, uh, what they call a care and dare culture, build a care and dare culture. Uh, it's a courageous culture. And, uh, and all through, and smaller, and smaller organizations as well. And it's very, very fulfilling work because you're seeing results improve and you're seeing people get more engaged because people have ideas and leaders wanna hear them. And if you can bring that together for better ideas, it can make all the difference. And you're right. The courage to be able to speak up, the courage to share, it takes being in that safe environment where you feel confident that someone is listening. And also when they listen, you see the results. So in all the companies you've worked with, what's been the biggest transformation you've seen that is like, wow, that people should look forward to if they want to really build courageous cultures. I would really say it has been the work with Nestle Switzerland. Um, we, why and why did it work? 
So it's interesting because uh, the CHRO called and said, hey, Courageous Cultures, so interesting. That's exactly what our CEO wants to build. He wants to build a care and dare culture. Empathy, care, dare, right? You're willing to have courage to speak up. So she said, here are our eight values. Here are our care values. Here are our dare values. Can you work with us, partner with us to build a program that teaches these, these values using your tools? So we totally customized this. But I think the reason that it worked was it was coming from the top, right? The, the senior team really wanted to make this happen. They, they were the first ones trained. Then they, you know, then they worked in, in their teams and then we trained the rest of the organization and they worked to make it real, not just a training, but how, what does that look like in terms of behaviors every single day? Uh, one of the really cool things that we did after been training people for a while is we went and we did um, an innovation day where um, we took a couple of four of their key strategic initiatives where they really wanted ideas and then broke people up. We had 160 people, broke it into smaller teams, working, using the, the, the tools on those ideas, like to find ideas that would fix those strategic challenges. And then they, after that, they pitched them to the senior team. They loved them. They loved the ideas and they're implementing them and they're not small. Uh, they're big ideas and uh, they're going to change the game. So I think that is um, that is the biggest uh, example with a longitudinal that we're having a lot of success with. But it's also interesting, you know, you, you also see it just happening at a team level. We hear all the time teams calling and saying, hey, we're using this stuff and it's working and we're, we're you know, our team. So that's the other thing is you don't have to be the, the CEO to use these tools. You go to your team, you're an entre if you're an entrepreneur and you got three people working for you, where is one area I need a great idea? Tell them, define the clarity of what that idea would accomplish, and then give people some techniques to think about it. Lots to think about, but really helpful. We're very excited about the work you're doing across, you know, the courageous cultures, transforming organizations, wherever you go. So thank you so much for that work. You said you're about, you know, working on a, a manuscript, finishing stuff. So what you, what are you doing next? What's happening with that? And how can our listeners continue to follow your work? All right. Well, so uh, we have uh, working on a World Workplace Conflict and Collaboration Survey, and that is up. You can uh, you can find it through our website or you can worldworkplacesurvey.com if you'd like to participate. But we've been collecting stories from people all over the world, um, and we've got uh, 45 countries so far. Uh, all the United States are in there. Um, and it's asking people a series of questions. Is there more, more or less conflict now? What, what is the sources of those conflict? But my favorite question is, uh, if, tell me about a significant conflict that you've had in the past. And what is your advice to your former self if you were faced with that conflict again? And then from there, we're pulling in, what are, what are these, you know, what would people do differently? And so all of that is culminating in this book that is uh, called Powerful Phrases for Dealing with Workplace Conflict. Uh, what to say next to de-stress the workday. And so it's, it's all about very practical scenarios. So we have um, what to do in difficult scenarios, like you're dealing with a, in a um, matrix organization, or you've had major organizational change, those kinds of things. And then there's sections on what to do with difficult people. You know, what do you do with a gossiper? What do you do with um, somebody who's stealing credit for your ideas? Really tactical things. And then what do you do with a challenging boss? 
and it describes scenarios and then it gives you words and you don't necessarily have to use the words exactly but it, you know there's enough choices there's just like 270 phrases so you can kind of think about how would you approach these scenarios so that's what we're up to uh it's it takes a long time to publish a book though even though it's due and end of the week uh it won't publish again till may from harper collins um, but you can find us uh, at letsgrowleaders.com. I love to connect with people on LinkedIn. I run a LinkedIn show called Asking for a Friend on LinkedIn. So that's another way to, to but letsgrowleaders.com is a great place to start. Wonderful. It's been a pleasure really listening to you, Karen. And thank you for the work you're doing. Listeners, you can hear where to follow Karen on LinkedIn or letsgrowleaders.com. There's a lot going on in there. And together we change the world with our actions, with our thoughts and the things that we do. My last question for you before I let you go, because I know you have a very hectic schedule, is for your guilty pleasure on the days when you've done a lot of work and you just want to reward yourself. What is your guilty thing? What do you do? <laughs> Oh my gosh, my guilty thing. Well, I do. Uh, so I don't know if I don't feel guilty about this, but my favorite thing to do is to ride my bike. As uh, I do, uh, we spend a lot of time in, in Colorado in the mountains, and I just love to ride my bike. So that's not guilty. But I also oh, like wonderful. to get. Up. <laughs> but um, I do, I really do enjoy a massage. So I would say that's probably my guilty pleasure. Oh, that's wonderful. Of course, we never feel guilty about these things. It's part of what makes us balanced in life. So well done with that. And thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Flourishing 40s podcast. Have a wonderful day. Uh, you too. Absolutely. My pleasure. <laughs>